myself. Like All right, in the dome podcast. In the dome podcast. podcast. In the dome. Well, if you haven't killed yourself as a flames founder, right? congratulations. <laughs> you made it this far. You passed the first test. So what it's was like it? It's like this season is a long game of Saw. Saw. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's what and it is. And in the end, you realize the killer was laying there the whole time. Exactly. Bradtree Living is actually... Why well, jigsaw or whatever? Bradtree Living is gonna pull off a mask and it's really Jarelli. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be some Scooby Doo ass shit. See who's behind all this? And it's like Peter Chirelli and it's like fuck, I knew it. And the Oilers secretly fired him. Yeah, it's right, gonna that be a explain, whole conspiracy. That would, that would explain, explain the Milan Lucci trade. Right? It would do. A, it would. That would actually literally be a relief. Would that be the truth is stranger than fiction right there? That would be a relief to know that Bradshaw Living was secretly abducted and somebody is pretending to be him and is making all these dumb moves for the past two years. That would be that would really give me a great sense of relief to know he's not that big of an idiot. Okay, well, top of mind. Well, first off, I think last week I said I don't think we've hit rock bottom yet. We did lose again to the Colorado Avalanche. You and I both had good feelings going into that game. We did see... I I personally saw a lot of good things in the second half of the game. Yeah, for sure. Like, even in the... Well, the first period was like, how typical was that of this season? We outshot them, what, like 17 to 6 or something? And we're losing 2 nothing. Yeah. That's the story of the fucking year right there. Riddick should have had the second goal. He sh- it was a good shot. Should have had the second goal. That was kind of like a Mike Smith backbreak. It wasn't a backbreaker, but it was like, oh, shit. Well, when you're in this type of slump, that's tough. Yeah, like, but again, like he's been he's been good enough that it's like one bad goal. I'm not gonna fault him for that game. Um, I thought yeah. they were really. I thought they weren't very good in the second period, and then they, well, once, they were pretty. Good once in the they third. scored the first goal, yeah, um, and in the third period, like we actually saw some urgency. Right, that was nice. Well, again, Glenn Gold, back to Glenn Goldson days. Show up in the third. Yeah. And then, fuck, man, I don't know how Gio didn't score that to tie it up. He had, like, a wide-open net. Oh, my God. What? Okay. We might have to have a serious conversation about Mark Giordano soon, but, I mean, what the fuck was he doing? So, my point is that if you're not— He had the game on his stick, and he shot— He didn't even raise the puck. He, like, buried it into the defender's foot. What was he doing? My point is is that if you're not in a team slump, you win that game. Oh, yeah. Like, we would have won that game if we didn't have, like, the mental baggage you were carrying Race? around yeah, from, no, from I agree. Winning, losing so many games. So, and then and that's the good thing about it is, especially in the third period, you they got back to basics. Yeah. They started simplifying the game. You started guys just, you know, point A to point B, straight lines, right? So, I don't know what that's going to transpire into St. Louis. And honestly, because I don't know anything anymore about this team. I don't know what to expect. So, but I what I what I kind of do expect without going too hard into expecting too much, yeah, is them to carry on with the third period that they had against the Avalanche. Well, and honestly, there's no better team to do it than the best team in the league. And which you know, right now the St. Louis Blues are the best team in the league. Well, you know what's interesting? They were talking on the fan today about this. They kept going on and on about like, oh, the when's the turning point going to happen? You know what? It's like that's why I think. It was encouraging they played good against Colorado. There isn't going to be a turning point. Like, very rarely does it happen. Like, we usually put this narrative together after the fact. It's like, oh, Pittsburgh 9-1 turning point last year. And it's like, for most teams, there's very rarely, like, one time you can look back and be like, oh, that's when we really turn it around. It's like, it's a long season. You have to play well. Like, 
there's not going to be one turning point. So that's why I'm glad, like, even though they lost last game, and even the two games previous, I thought there was some still some good things. So if they can just kind of keep building on that, yep. keep building, there's not going to be some grand turning point where they all of a sudden turn into this amazing team. It's just like, keep getting better, and it'll hopefully turn around soon. The thing is, is that it, I find it really hard to believe to see, see this last much longer. And I mean, it is. It's like, if you look at this as... It happens in life. People go through really tough times. Yeah. And when you're going through tough times, you just have to find a way to, to keep showing up and trying. Because eventually, things will start to go your way. Well, I know people are sick of hearing it, and it's like, oh, shooting percentage-wise. Literally, just shooting percentage-wise, and if we keep playing like this, it's going to turn around at like a little bit. Yeah. Even just based on that, it's going to turn around. 100%. But it's got to turn around fast. Is the one, so we is got the, the Blues thing. tonight. We're in St. Louis, yeah. and honestly, I think this is this is the type of team you want to play because in order to get out of this funk, like I would rather play better teams. Yeah, exactly. Because they're gonna make you play better. Yeah, one hundred percent. It kind of sounds counterintuitive, but imagine like, oh, we were playing Ottawa tonight, and then we lose again. Yeah, that would so, be just like talk about bottoming out. At this point in the game, I'd rather play higher caliber teams. Yeah, me too. And hopefully you fucking can get a win and start to change your confidence around. Yeah, you know what? It's starting to look more and more like confidence. Because like you said, like as soon as they got that first goal against the app, it was like, oh, okay, yeah, we can play. Yeah. And it was like they started to play. Yeah. It was like they had one goal. That's yeah. all it took. So part of me wants to say that I'm predicting a win tonight because... Everybody thinks they're going to lose. Like, I wonder what the the, the sports select well, the odds are that St. Louis at home is going to beat a struggling Calgary Flames team. Money Puck has the chance of the Blues winning tonight at almost sixty percent, fifty nine point three. Flames forty point seven. So, so you want to make some money tonight? Right? Put some money on the Flames because this and it, like it's the NHL. You see teams like the Red Wings; they don't lose every game. You see teams like Ottawa; they don't lose any every game. Of course, Calgary's not going to lose every game. It's games like these. That's where we're at now, eh? It's right. games like these. We're not going to lose every game. It's games like these when you don't expect them to win, they'll probably somehow get a win. Well, I think, yeah. I So just due to the whole laws of physics and Newton's law, whatever the hell that shit is, I'm going to say they're going to win tonight. I, I think not because I think they're going to, physics. but because, yeah, because of the probability. Well, it's like it's the old fantasy hockey trick. You play the percentages. So, like, I really do think... You should hopefully get a point out of tonight. I think tonight again, like not to be like, oh, the rest of the road trip's easy, but tonight is the toughest. I'm like toughest honestly, opponent you're gonna face. If I'm on that team or I'm coaching this team, I don't even give a shit about getting a point tonight. You don't? No, it's just play good hockey. Because you had the thing is, is these guys are so overwhelmed right now in their situation that yeah. trying to measure your result based on an outcome is just more overwhelming. And, and if things don't go well, then it's just going to get even more frustrating. What, what? I'm, what I'm stressing is just go back to basics, see more of what we saw in the third period against the Avalanche, and just keep playing back to where our game is. Yeah. Well, I think, while I do agree, it's like it's also like we need to start getting some fucking points here, man. Well, the thing is, is that you don't need to get points. You need to break out of the slump. Yeah, that's true. But if and you get, if you do the points will come. That's that's the only. That's but the way also, I look at. it's kind of like when does this become like, holy shit? Well, we're pa- the thing is we're past that point now. 
Yeah, I know, but it's just like st- stick with the system. It'll turn around and get the points. But it's like, what but, if we lose three of the next four? And like well, that, no, could, that could not, literally be lights out for the it's season. It's not stick with the system. It's stick with basic hockey. Yeah. Like Johnny Goudreau, when you're breaking out of your end and you're fucking behind the other two D-men and the passes aren't getting through to you, stop doing that. Yeah, that's true. Just come back and break out. That'd be nice, eh? Just stick back. Like, just aren't executing the basics. I think that's the only way to really approach it because, to me, you've already gone past the point of needing points. So we've got the Blues tonight. And, I mean, they're pretty banged up too, but we are banged up as shit right now. So they placed Sam Bennett on LTIR, so he's out for a while. Hamannick Han- Han- and Brody are not on the road trip yet, but I heard Br- Brody did skate today on his own. Um, I think both of them or either of them We'll be back at some point on this road trip, but you're still rolling with Noah Hannafin, Michael Stone, Oliver Shillington, Brandon Davidson as your bottom as your You know what? I didn't two, mind three. I didn't mind the D pairings. I thought Geo was probably our worst D. Geo stunk against the Avs. Um uh, I thought Stone and Hannafin actually had a pretty decent game. They were okay. It was still scary at times. You could see the McKinnon line get out there against them and it was just like mayhem. I thought Davidson, I actually really liked his game. I know he kind of fucked up on the I think it was the two nothing goal. Or no, it was a three nothing goal. 3 nothing goal? It was the third goal. He kind of lost his gap, but I thought he was pretty solid too. So um, I'm not too worried about the defense. And then uh, I guess they made a switch today. Different so lineup. the top line against the Avs, they had Gaudreau with Backlund and Lindholm. They switched Kachuk and Lindholm. What are your thoughts on that? So it's Gaudreau, Backlund, Kachuk, Monge, Monaghan, Lindholm. Well, I kind of I like what they had last game more. But I get it if you don't get any results. Like, I don't know. I don't know about putting Kachuk with Goudreau. Because I almost feel like Kachuk's going to now even get trying it even more fancy now that he's playing with Goudreau. But I guess we'll have to see how it plays out. Yeah, I'm just not... I'm not too sure what he's trying to accomplish here. Um, I think maybe he's just trying to... I don't know. Because I actually liked the, the Manjapani-Kachuk uh, pairing with Monaghan. That yeah. seemed to work pretty well. I kind of liked that last game too. So I'm not really sure what the reasoning behind this is. Maybe it's a matchup thing, like that. Maybe Lindholm's going to be like, who would the Monahan line be matching up against? I don't know. Maybe so it's got, a matchup thing. You got second line is Mangiapane, Monahan, and Lindholm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I guess we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, we'll see. Obviously, I, the third line has been the best line over yeah, the past Lucic, two games. Dubé and okay, Lucic was the best Flames player against the Avs. Yeah, like he was the most. He was the he was the biggest scoring threat. By quite a fair margin, he had the highest expected goals on the night. He was the he was the best flames in terms of flame in terms of creating offense, which was absolutely shocking. So, and the the other point to that is that if Lucic is your biggest offensive threat, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. But anyway, I mean, good on him for playing well, and good on that line for being that line was great. I guess if he's the if he has a game like that, he's the best. Every once in a while, fine. But if exactly. he's consistently... Two games in a row. And it's the same thing. If that third line is consistently your best line... You're in trouble. Well, I think that's what is frustrating because it's like... I think lines two, whatever the whatever the iteration of the second line has been, two through four have been okay lately. And it's your top line that's killing you. Yeah. Specifically Gaudreau. So, I don't know, man. It's... Oh, boy. I don't know what to do with Johnny Gaudreau. How does he break out of this funk? I don't know. Like, well, I don't need, I, it's, it's getting inexplainable why he's so ineffective. At this right point now. now, it's just a matter of time. You th- see, I would say that, but 
But it's not like he's generating a lot of chances either at the same time, right? That's what's kind of concerning me. That's what I'm kind of just like, um, okay, like... Well, you know what? We play in Philadelphia. We play, we play in his, his stomping grounds. So he always seems to always get seems up for to, those games. So hopefully. maybe we'll see nothing tonight and we'll see him do something in Philadelphia. Anything. Anything would... Oh, please, Johnny, come on. Just okay, do we're going to hit the mailbag here. Okay, mailbag. But first, let's talk real quick. Babcock got let go yesterday. Yeah. And I'm curious. I have some questions for you about that. It sounds like the situation in Toronto and Calgary, even though they are similar, as far as how the coaching plays into it, they're different. Now, obviously, we even like brought this up, what, two weeks ago? Oh, yeah. Is there something going on with the coaches being the players? Is there some sort of riff happening? And you can't help but wonder because, like, look at the performance we see on a nightly basis. But my question is, okay, I didn't think that Bill Peters should – is he safe? I think he's safe. But listening to some of the analysis yesterday on Babcock getting let go, it makes me kind of wonder, like, how safe is Bill Peters right now? Well, okay, so there's a couple ways you can go about analyzing this. I think – the mere fact that Calgary is not Toronto and that not that the ownership group has been like the, the flames are cap team. So it's not like they're afraid to spend money, but we have seen them in the past shown a propensity to be a little bit of kind of like penny pinching specifically on coaches. So I cannot see that the ownership, unless it's an absolute 100% necessity is like ready to pay two coaches again because they already did it when they fired Glenn Gullitson because they had to pay the remaining years of his contract. So just on that fact alone, it's like, okay, unless things are dire, I can't see the ownership like being so on board with Bradshaw living, letting another coach go and yeah. having to pay two coaches again. And isn't there some sort of like unwritten rule that a GM gets three coaches yeah. and that's it? And so that's the other thing. It's like, I think, well, Tree Living knows that if he's gone through, this is going to be his third coach. And I understand Bob Hartley wasn't his hire. But if he's gone through three coaches here, eventually, well, <laughs> I think he should be held more accountable than the coach myself. But eventually he knows, like, he's got one bullet in the chamber and that's his coach firing. So he's going to hold off until abs- if and when it's absolutely necessary. So I think those two things alone, just philosophically, organizationally, indicate that Bill Peters is safe. I think he's safe. But then that automatically because, brings me to the next point, yeah. which is basically, we'll go through the mailbag. You guys sent in a whole bunch of questions and topics to ask, and the most, the majority of them are all about trading. Because if you're talking about bolts in the chamber, and the coaching is one of them, here's how I look at it: is like, is if this is your third coach in like what, six years, five five years. And you're thinking about replacing him. If you're going to have a f- four coaches in a matter of seven years, is it the coach or is it the core? Because it's been the same core essentially. Yeah. I mean, the core has evolved from Johnny and Monty to include Geo, now Chucky, guys like Hamannick, Lindholm, or kind of like Backlund supporting cast. But if this is a reiteration of like, okay, now we're going to go back look for another coach because these guys have tuned the coach out. Yeah. Like, does well, that, that to me, 
It says that the, the coaching is not the common denominator here. The common denominator is the court. Well, I th- so then this leads us to the mailbag questions of like, do we think about trading the court? Well, I think just to speak further on that, because some of the some of the more well-rounded analysis from Toronto was it's not solely a coaching problem, but the coaching wasn't helping. It was making it worse. Right. So that's kind of where I like it's probably right now what's going on in Calgary, probably not a sole coaching problem, but I think some of the things we've seen, it's not helping. Yeah, I, that's how that's how I was thinking about when you said that. The coaching here is not helping. I don't know if it's necessarily making it worse. Right. Exactly. I don't think it's. I, I'm not. I. It's only been 24 games. Let's do a couple more. So I, I. I don't think it's. I'm not always a big fan of fire the coach, right? But I do have problems with the coaching staff. But for me, like, before we get into the questions, I don't think Bill Peter. I'm not a huge Bill Peters. Fan, I would say, but I don't think this issue rests with him. I think this issue rests with how the team is constructed, and I think that falls on Brad True Living more so. So I don't know. To answer the question, do I think Bill Peters is in trouble? I really don't. Like, do you think that like, if they miss the playoffs, probably? Now, given all that, who's who's safer? In this situation, Bill or Brad? Well, see, I would say Bill, but then yeah, it's like Brad, Brad just signed a three-year deal. An extension. So, like, I don't know. For me, personally, I would definitely be way... I would be... If I'm an owner of the Calgary Flames, I'd be putting way more pressure on Brad Tree Living than Bill Peters because Brad now has picked two coaches. If this coaching hire turns out to be another Glenn Goldson situation, that's two guys he's picked when plenty of options were available. You had guys like Barry Trotz, Alan Vigneault, quite a few... Yep. Highly touted coaches kind of on the market. Joe Quinville. Joe Quinville. Quinville eventually. Like uh, even Bruce Brudrow, Like guys like Dallas Eakins have been around. Um, not that he's a proven winner or anything. But I mean like this is – he's had two swings at this. He's picked his He's picked his guy reportedly twice. Like went out and handpicked them. And at the time, both were pretty questionable. Exactly. Like I mean Glenn Goldson. I don't know. Say we will about Glenn Goldson. I think – I think, again, his hire even speaks to the fact that ownership has never shown a propensity to, like, outright pay top dollar for a coach. Because, like, you're telling me Glenn Goldson's the best option available? I think that's why everyone was so mad at the hire. It was like, this guy's not the best option available. Come on, he's an assistant coach probably on an NHL team, maybe. And then, I mean, same with Bill Peters, a guy who misses the playoffs four years in a row. So it's like he's picked his guy twice. So far, like, again, we were second best team in the league last year. But it's hard to say, but I can't imagine this team's considering a coaching change. And I mean, even some of the reports from Elliot Friedman have been that management is concerned that the team is tuning out the coach again. Like yeah. you said, this would be the third coach this group has been through. So well, I think, but this brings me back. It's interesting, right? Because we did this podcast two weeks ago before it evolved to this point. It's almost like we saw this shit coming. But you again, we said it before, I'll say it again. Brad Tree Living, you went out and you traded TJ Brody, Mark Jankowski. Was there anybody else in that deal? No, it's reportedly those two guys. But I mean, Froleek was Froleek has been well, Froleek's been a whole other thing, whole other thing. But like, you're telling me that if you're a player, right, and you hear that your GM's traded you, like traded you like legit it was done deal 
like that's why I'm like fuck why don't you get the player to wave before you get exactly. a deal done well it's like it's similar to like the comparison used like the Lucic thing with his no move clause that could fuck us up in the in the expansion draft it's like it doesn't seem like a big deal but it's also not like a really great way to do business right like you shouldn't like have a trade completely done and then be like oh yeah Kadri said no. It's like, well, oh shit. And it, like the, it's like the you whole, should have negotiated that first. And the reason why is because it's like somebody, there's always some sort of responsible per, responsible party that like it comes back to. And if you're like, if that deal went through and now you have two players that are mentally having a hard time playing for this team and this organization because the manager of the organization decided that they didn't want them on the team anymore. That, that, that to me the responsibility falls back on the GM for mishandling that right and exactly. I don't know like and not rectifying it right well maybe he maybe he did maybe he didn't I don't know like what kind of conversation do you even have with a player after oh I tried to trade you but the deal went through yeah it's true. don't worry we still really want you here <laughs> we really think you're part of the solution the only reason why I did that was because of this I mean that's mismanagement oh absolutely it is because you if anybody listening to this works in an organization like morale is a big thing and it's a it's a very finicky thing too it can start to swing either way and i feel like you have those two guys you got for leak you got the the way that shillington and dubay have both been treated have, by the coach and have yeah outright outright the coach has publicly spoken about their performance not being good enough. To me, you start to add up all those things and it wouldn't surprise me if the team as a whole starts to tune the coach out a bit. Right? Well, and again, I think I think and most people who, And it wouldn't surprise me if they started to tune Brad out a bit. Exactly. Because like, again, it's been two years. He's done nothing to improve the team. Like again, we keep coming back to this. He had those deals done, but it doesn't matter. It didn't get them done. He's actively pretty much brought in worse players than he's like. So, you think the players are like super stoked on this complete lack of anything happening other than bringing in worse players? And I'll make this point again too. Like I go back to when the Blue Jays finally made the playoffs. This is like four years ago now. They're like, shit, we actually are gonna make the playoffs. What is what is what was it, Alex Anthopoulos? Yeah, he goes out and acquires David fucking Price. Right. I think he got Tulowitzki at the same time. He's like, he's going in. I have, he kind of went all in. Yeah. And I think that's where you need to be careful. You don't necessarily go all in. But that's how you show confidence in the team. I remember even listening to some of the players like Donaldson. And they're like, holy shit. Like, and Jose Bautista, when they heard that Alex acquired David Price, they were like freaking out. Yeah. That's, that's showing confidence, confidence in your that's like, team. Here you go, guys. Whereas Brad Tree Living, I mean, he was sniffing around the Stone deal. It sounded like they were fucking close to getting Stone, but they didn't want to give up as much as Vegas wanted. Yeah. Or uh, Ottawa wanted. But then you come out and say, well, we're pretty confident in this group. It all The trail leads back to Brad Tree Living for, for me and for you, I think, too. Yeah. It does. So, and, and yeah, it, I, obviously it's not to say the players are exempt here in this. No, for sure. But we're trying to like piece all the puzzles. You know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I know. And I think like one last thing on this. I think the um the 
I think there's two things because I am never never a big fan of like the coaching carousel, right? It's like eventually you have to kind of stick with a guy, right? Like you've seen what's happened up in Edmonton, like various places around the league. Um, I think it's variable. Everybody always says, oh, coaches have a shelf life. Maybe some do, maybe some don't. I don't think there's any rule. But I don't know, man. It's it's tough when you have – because, like, if you look at what's happening in Toronto, I really do think that they're in for a turnaround because I think what Mike Babcock was doing was, again, probably not the sole issue, yeah. but it definitely wasn't helping. And that's the thing where it's like – it's say it's a similar situation in Calgary, but it's, it's a beast all of its own. Yeah. Like, and I want to segue in into something, which is an in the mailbag. Mailbag. She had a graphic made this like, or not a graphic, a sound. It was like, mailbag. 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 Thank you guys for like all the responses. It's pretty awesome. Some of them are on similar topics. We're going to try to get to all of them. We're, we're going to get to all of them, but we might group in a few. So what do you want to start with? You seem to have one you want to start with. All right. And this... Coming from Tolverton. Teeman. 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 Or Timon. I don't know. Timon. Is it possible that last season was a one-off and this team isn't actually good? So when you're going into the whole, you know, Michael Bab- Mike Babcock, Bill Peters, yada, 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 coaching carousel, I can't help but look at last season's success. You can't discount it, right? Because if you're if you're looking at... Oh, maybe Bill Peters needs to get let go. Or maybe he's part of the problem. I'd be more inclined to get on board with that if they struggled last season. Exactly. Me too. That would be like a Glenn Gallatin's type scenario. But the thing is, that makes it even more of a a harder situation to assess. Exactly. Because look how they finished first. They had their best season it's in like how many years? It's like you have two data sets and produced by the same person. One is bad, one is good. It's like it's really hard to make an assessment on what is what. So then you're like, well, what is the difference yeah. between last year and this year? And honestly, I think a big part of it is the morale. And a big part of that morale problem is Bradtree living. 100% now, agree. Now you have to look at management as a team. Well, and then I don't even know if it's morale, but it's like... The fact that, okay, so if you couple into the fact that we had five players have career years last year, that's probably not repeatable. And everybody knows the weaknesses of this team and they haven't been addressed. So yeah. if you couple in the, obvi- the, the absolute um, fact that Gaudreau, Monaghan, Lindholm, Giordano, um, Kachuk might regress a little bit, add that to the GM did nothing to improve the team or address the weaknesses of the team, I think that leads to this. So it's like now you're not having these guys have insane performances on a night-to-night basis. Yep. Plus you haven't brought anybody to to address the weaknesses that the team already has that everybody knows about. Plus we have yet to see Bill rebound from the shellacking in the Avalanche series. He got outcoached to like the nth degree. Well, and I think that's one of the things where it's frustrating with Bill. It's like we said with Babcock. It's definitely not the sole issue, but it's hurting, is the way he seemingly has adjusted to the shellacking and changing the way the team plays a little bit. Yeah. And we talked about this on the last podcast. The biggest thing that I've noticed is, like, our transition game stinks. It's almost non-existent. And last year, that's what made us so successful. We transitioned out of our own end 
into the offensive end with speed. Yeah. And even Colby Armstrong brought this up in between our missions last game. There's no team speed. Yeah. Like this team has no speed. Mm-hmm. They're not playing with speed. Like there's no like even last I, there was like three or four instances against Colorado where it's like the defense were trying to break out and just standing there at the blue line like stationary like no speed through the neutral zone no speed exiting the zone entering the zone it's just like no no transition whatsoever yeah so to Overton I think that to an extent last year may have been a one off but you can't write it off completely I mean. I think I said this last last podcast is like I could see you maybe fluking out and winning a division as if the division wasn't that strong, but you're not going to fluke out and win a conference. Well, and all their underlying metrics, like so, let's just quickly compare some of their underlying metrics from last year to this year. So the main things that I'm seeing that a lot of other people are seeing is that they're generating way less shot attempts and they're giving up way more. So I mean, they're they're they're. Possession numbers are still positive, but last year we were a dominant possession team. Yeah. Like, dominating. Um, and then the other thing that's just like, because so, here, expected goals this year, and you've probably seen this even on Sportsnet, they're like showing how we're like a full goal down from score, goals per game last year. Like, we're below three goals a game this year averaging. Yeah. It's brutal. It's like we're one of the worst in the league. Expected goals all of last season, um, expected goals four per 60 minutes. Like it's we're way worse. We're not generating enough. Um, like they're comparable enough, but it's the inability to generate chances. Like our high danger, our high danger chances for per sixty minutes, nine point four two this year. Nine point four two last year, eleven point four five. That's not good. That's a pretty significant drop off. Yeah. So like the only like and then we're giving up way too much too and I realize like the percentages like our our shooting percentage is way down but if you look at the underlying metrics a lot of them were just not as good this year we're not as good and it's not even like luck based it's like we're not like the two glaring things are we're not generating enough high danger chances and we're giving up too much so the interesting thing is it's the exact same team yeah outside of halfway gone and Mike Smith gone so and Luchi Jin and they talk about this like the, the, the what is it the Chinese ancient Chinese proverb of like in every like massive negative situation there's equal amount of positive in it available yeah if you can somehow figure out what that is mm-hmm. so I look at last year yeah we were really good this year we stunk we're somewhere in between those two realities yeah for and sure. so we're probably not as good as we played last year but we're definitely not as bad as we're playing this year. So your actual reality of what your team, what you have in this in this Calgary Flames team is probably somewhere in the middle of these two extremes. Yeah. And so if you're a Bradtree living, you this is an opportunity to see how where all your weaknesses truly are. And now you can start to figure out what this team truly needs. Because when you're having an unreal season like we did last year, flying into the playoffs... It was a hardcore wake-up call because expectations were so high. Because of what you're saying to Overton, it's just like, we were too good last year. We were better than we were, than we are. But it's it's weird because like all a lot of their, like because if you look at their underlying metrics from last year, it's like, it wasn't, we didn't fluke. We were just, it wasn't like we were just riding a PDO bender. We weren't just riding a sh- high shooting percentage, high save percentage. 
It's like we were really good at generating shots. We were really good at generating high danger chances. We were just really good. So it's like that's why it's kind of I know like I that's why I can't figure out what is going on right now. Other than that your top players are not playing as your top players, but I mean, here's a really interesting stat. High danger save percentage has dropped quite significantly. The Calgary goaltenders this year have only stopped 78% of high danger chances compared to last year. Um, 83% high danger save percentage. So goaltending's kind of escaped a little bit of uh, criticism just because I think the team has played not up to snuff, but those goalies maybe need to be a little bit better. And I mean, obviously, the five guys who had those years last year were due for regression. Like, like obviously. Like, even though the numbers are pretty good. Well, you're I mean, not going to have a season where five of your best players are scoring over 80 points. I mean, you don't necessarily have to call it regression. It's just like... Yeah, it's not even regression. It's just they, regression to the mean. They had a career year. Yeah. Yeah. Like, all of them. So I kind of also find it interesting that Bill... Coached under Babcock. Yes. And like, they're both going through very similar challenges right, right now. Very similar. I don't know what So that's I think all when you talk about is last year a fluke, I don't think it was a fluke, but for some reason the offense is drying up this year. We can't score. Yeah. So And so that's why it's just like you're looking at to me you're looking at two extremes. Where 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 we who we truly are is somewhere in the middle, and we'll get back to that. Yeah. Now the question is, is that who we truly are in the middle, a playoff team? I think we are. Mm-hmm. But we still need to make some tweaks and adjustments in the lineup. And yeah. that's Bradtree Living. So I think he can look at the situation to do a better assessment of what he has yeah. in this in this locker room or exactly. whatever you call it. Well, I think it's what you said, right? It's like, I don't even think that it's last year was a fluke and this is the team we are. I think I said that last week. It's like, I think we just are a mediocre team. But I think it's more so... If Gaudreau, Monaghan, Lindholm, Kachuk... Giordano are not playing at a superhuman level. This team is just not good enough, and that's on the general manager because he saw that. It's like in the playoffs, if those five guys aren't playing at an insane clip, yep. we don't have enough scoring depth. He knows that, and he still hasn't addressed it. So I think it's more so not that last year was a fluke. It's more so that the, the GM just needs to improve the team. Well, and that's why we were so frustrated over the summertime. Yeah, Exactly. Because you had ample time to work something out and make some sort of addition. I'm sorry, but Lucic is not an addition. So maybe it's more, it's less. Last year as an entirety was a fluke. And maybe five guys having career years all at once is a bit lucky. I, I wouldn't call it luck though, because they were still, the way they were generating their scoring for the most part was pretty sustainable. Um, so I don't know if I'd call it luck. I would just call it more... They they played really great last year. Yeah. Okay. Those five guys. Let's get to a couple of trade questions. But first off, Flame Stats wants to know: At what point should we just accept that we should just tank? The thing <laughs> well, is, the you, thing you is, never go full Oilers, guys. No, like the thing is, when you when you full on tank is when you've already been in a process of rebuilding. You're still not there yet, or you're on a super decline like LA. Like when you're a team like the Flames, when you're on the up, when you're on the up, the up and up, like this is this is a weird anomaly that the, the tells me that we're gonna turn it around. Like it's almost 
inevitable. Well, again, like you can't unless you literally pull something completely unprecedented and start trading your stars off for first round picks right now in their prime when they're on great value deals. I guess like otherwise you have you don't have an option, right? Like it's yeah. playoffs or it's playoffs Stanley Cup with, or bust with right now. the roster you have, you, yeah. you can't actually tank. It's not possible. Like yeah, and tanking is like here's how you here's how you manage your team is like I've said this a million times, but St. Louis a couple years ago, it's like they were honest with themselves at the trade deadline, but they didn't go out and trade guys like Tarasenko. They didn't trade big huge players. They just kind of like traded a few guys on expiring deals here and there. Yep. Picked up some assets. Then the next offseason, they go to acquire Ryan O'Reilly, acquire Tyler Bozak. I know they had a really rough start of the season. Then they end up winning the Stanley Cup. Yep. That, to me, is how you manage a, ho- a hockey team. We're nowhere near the level of, like, okay, we're going for the first first overall pick here. Like, And you still have two, three years out of most of the core guys contractually locked up. Johnny Goudreau, Sean Monahan, Lindholm are all in their primes right now. There's absolutely no reason for us Matthew to just... Kachuk. Matthew Kachuk. Entering his prime. Entering his prime. You've got an incredibly great promise on three young defensemen, Shillington, Anderson, Valimaki. There's no reason for us to tank. You never tank. Like, yeah, I think what you're saying is, if you're in the St. Louis situation, you look at what what's kind of like your secondary yeah. support supporting Catholic Lake and Brody, Hamannick. For league. These guys are all expiring. It's deals. just again, it just all comes back to smart asset man- management. Yeah. You manage your assets properly. If you, if the Flames get to the deadline and are like shit, we're out of it. You don't trade Johnny Gaudreau, who's twenty six on an insane value deal. You start training guys like Hamannick, Brody, maybe you know like Backlund, who's a little older. That's where you go with it and start acquiring some more assets. So I, yeah. All right, Brenner Bruker is asking: Should the Flames trade for a number one or two center? And why is Mark Jankowski still in the NHL? I think Mark Jankowski, you'll see. He's going to be the first guy to get traded. Um, I would be surprised if he's on this team for, for more than a month and a half. Well, because, oh, yeah. but, And I think you and I have said is that in the right environment, he's got skill. He still has upside. upside. I bet you when he, when he gets traded, he'll turn his... He'll, be, career, he'll turn his career around. And you know what? He's been a fine player this year outside of the fact he hasn't been on the ice for a goal. His underlying metrics are okay. He's fine as a fourth line. He's a whipping boy in Calgary because we know how good he... We know he has potential. We know we, that he has skill. Yeah. But he's just... He's, 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 he's afraid or for whatever reason. He's uninterested. He's unwilling to, to execute his skill. So I think Elliot or somebody reported that, like, Jankowski's out there, but, like, who wants a guy who's got zero points this year? But I imagine he'll be traded soon. Um, as for the number one or two center, I really do think... You have an answer in Lindholm at center? Right now, it's been reported by Friedman that they are shopping for wingers. They're shopping for wingers. I just don't see, like, who's the guy you go out and get. That's the only thing I don't see. Like, who's just giving away number one and two centermen for, like, very little. So, and the thing that's is, why I think you're not acquiring a number one centerman or a number two centerman for that matter. And honestly, we don't really care as long as it's a legit top six player exactly. that can play either center or winger, both, whatever. We just need another guy that can round out that top six yeah. where you're not hoping that guys like Froelich, who else, Bennett, you're not hoping that these guys can somehow Magically fill that role. fill in a role playing above their heads. Even Manjiapani, I think he's not even quite there yet. Yeah. He'll get there. 
But, I mean, but yeah, we, we don't care if it's a top six. It's just got to be a legitimate top six guy. Because you have four legitimate top six guys right now. Yeah. In Lindholm, Chucky, Monty, and Johnny. Backlund, to me, is questionable. Backlund's a tweener. He's a tweener. So maybe you have five if you can get another solid six guy in there. Backlund is good enough to play with those guys, but he doesn't have the scoring ability you need in your top six for a team that can't score. And then score. the point that we've been making is if you bring in that the other top six guy, watch the bottom six get straightened out. Exactly. Because now you're not counting on a bottom six, an alternating bottom six. Bottom six almost every night is someone new in the top six. I, I love Manj on the second line. Imagine him being able to slot down one more line. And right. get some easier. Imagine a Backlund, Manjapani, Dubé, or Bennett line. Like that would be a great line right there. Or even Ryan. Or it's just yeah, it slots everybody better. Yeah. So I I can't. I just yeah, it doesn't matter. It's got to be a top six guy though. All right, we're gonna bust through some of these. PJ potential traders. Sorry, potential players we should target for trade. He says he wants Taylor Hall. Yeah, see, I'm not on the Taylor Hall bandwagon for the trade at all. Yeah, I'm not on the Taylor Taylor Hall trade. I'm on the Taylor Hall offseason acquisition. Exactly, because, and I'm not even crazy about that. Here's the reason you don't trade for him. You're going to have to give up way too much for a guy who's already played his best hockey and may not re-sign here. And if you make a trade, it's just a lateral move. Exactly, because everybody keeps saying, oh, Hall for Gaudreau. That doesn't make you better. Gaudreau's better than Hall, I think. I think Gaudreau has more upside than Hall right now, being 26. And it doesn't make you better. It doesn't address the problem, which is you don't have enough Goudreaux. You're just swapping at one top six guy for another. You need to add a guy from the, to the top six without taking away. Um, as for guys you should target, that's so hard because it's like who's available. The only guy I can think of who I am really a big fan of who has been in a trade room with Carolina is Andre Kase or Case um, from the Anaheim Ducks. I would really, if Bradshaw Living can get a guy who is make a trade similar to the Lindholm trade, where you're bringing in a guy who's like 23 and you sign him to a really good value length deal, that would be great. So those are the kind of guys I'd be targeting. Again, teams aren't really going to be willing to part with those guys, but I'd be looking at guys like that. Um, before the season, I thought like a guy like Jacob Verana would be really good, but I'm thinking kind of guys who are maybe either RFAs last year or upcoming RFAs who are still really young and have tons of upside. And then Logan Similaire is asking, Logan James, uh, potential tradable players and players we should target from other teams. I know it is hard to get specifically because we don't have the time and resource to make that a full-time job as just like these scouting teams do. Well, who knows who's available either, right? Especially right. middle of the year. It's almost impossible. All we know is that we don't care if it's a winger or a center. You need another guy that can play legit Full-time yeah. in a top six I think role. I think I can tell you who I wouldn't want. I think a guy like Jason Zucker is not a guy, the kind of guy I'd want. He makes too much money. He's not doesn't move the needle enough, right? He's, we've a, talked he's, about he's this. another tweener. Yeah, it's like he's more of what we don't need. So I we want guys who are legit answers in the top six, not guys who are going to come in and like, oh, wow, he's only going to score like 15 goals. Like we want somebody legit, so... Did you answer Ricky Lockhart's question, potentially trading Johnny? Um, I think I did, but I'll just reiterate, you're not trading Johnny Gaudreau, who's 20. Unless there's something behind the scenes going on that's absolutely we don't know about. Um, well, and like it was reported today as well, I think by Friedman, that if Johnny Johnny Gaudreau, where this is reported today, that Bradtree Living is not interested in moving him right now. Yeah. He said if he trades him, it'll be at the end of the season. 
Um, and then the ask on Johnny Goudreau would be astronomical. It's like getting Mark Stone at the end of the season. It would be ask. It would be you'd have to give up so much. I think you the Flames would get more or ask for more than the Senators got for Mark Stone. You're not trading a 26-year-old who just came off a 99-point season who makes... Again, this is probably the biggest thing for me. He makes under $7 million. Yep. The like value you're the getting. The value you're getting is insane. So what's his contract right now? I think it's he's got three more years after this or uh, two more years after this. That's 6.75. 6.75. And how much does Lucic make? Oh, my God. 5.25. So there's your comparable rate there. Yeah. So... Um, not trading him if you are going to trade him. If it's, it's maybe in the off season for an absolute haul, and that that's speaking right now, right? It's November. What's the date today? Twenty first. November twenty first. We're about what eight to ten to twelve games into the slump, depending on how far back you want to look at so, it. So sorry, Johnny has two more years after this. Okay, that's six point seven five. So that's the snap snapshot in time right now. You're not trading him. Yeah. Now, if things continue to get worse and then we figure out there's some other developing themes going on or whatever, whatnot, maybe it's a different scenario. But I keep, uh, just to one more last reiterate this thing, like Johnny Gaudreau is an absolute elite NHL player. It would take something incredibly insane to give him up right now on this value deal. All right. We're going to come back, probably do another pod tomorrow or early next week we'll get to the rest of the mailbags keep sending them in guys these are good questions they're awesome um we're gonna jump and do a live 